the king of the world served his friends. And he says, go and do likewise. So tonight in the summer of love, we're looking at what it means to love those around the table with us. Those who are saying, I'm following Jesus. I'm choosing to be with him, to learn from him, how to live like him. And so how do we love those people? How do we love disciples? How do we, as Jesus says in our text tonight, love one another as I have loved you? The cool thing about Jesus is he never just tells us, he shows us. So you think, well, this is easy enough, right? I can love Christians. I can love them okay in my church. But when you hop on Facebook and you see those other Christians, it becomes a little more difficult, doesn't it? It becomes difficult when you get down to actual relationships. Why? Because we see that we're all broken in some way. When we gather around the table with Jesus, we see that we're not just me and Jesus, it's all these other people. And sometimes friction happens, yes? Say yes, if you've ever had friction with another, even friction within the church. When we gather around the table, we gather around other people. And the New Testament, the rest of this book of the Bible, all the way to the end, is them trying to flesh out this command that Jesus gives, love one another as I have loved you, because it's hard it's hard. There are 55 plus one another's in the New Testament. Are you with me? There are 55 serve one another, encourage one another, bless one another, greet one another, submit to one another. 55 plus fleshing out this one command we're looking at tonight. Love one another as I have loved you. Because it's so vitally important and here's why. Because after Jesus got up and washed their feet and he told them, love one another, he said, the world will know you are my students, my followers, by your love for one another. And so the big question as we approach this text tonight is if we say, I love Jesus, do we work that out into our real, actual relationships. Look at this question. Let me say it another way. Are we responding to the love of Jesus living within us consistently and concretely in our love for one another? Are we saying, yes, Jesus, I love you, but I also am showing that love to those gathered around the table? Because everything hinges on our love for one another. Or do we not take Jesus' words seriously? The world will know we are his by our love for one another. So tonight we're talking about how do we then love one another as Jesus has loved us. There's six ways we're going to see tonight. They're not going to be on the screen, so you get a gold star if you can hear and write down each of those six ways. Because Jesus gives us this command, but like I said, he doesn't just say it, he shows it. Okay? You with me? You rocking and rolling? Let's look then at John 15 and sort out the example and the teachings of how to flesh out loving one another as I have loved you because everything hinges on our love for one another. You with me? Let's look at verse 9. As the Father has loved me. So, pause. Do you think the Father, God, who loved his only son, Jesus, loved Jesus? 
Shake your head, yes. Yes? This is like the easiest question I could ever ask you in a million years. Does the Father love the Son, Jesus? Yes. We have a doctrine in our faith called the Trinity. I met a Trinity tonight, and she just looked at her friend or sister. Yes. We have a doctrine in our faith called the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it's this crazy way of saying that God is one, but in three distinct persons. Don't ask me how to explain it any further than that. But we see the Trinity existing eternally in a loving, other-centered dance and relationship that overflowed into creating the world, the universe, and us to love others in some shadow of a way as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Spirit and the Spirit loves the Father. And Jesus says this staggering statement, this eternal trinity, other-focused relationship. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus' love for his disciples is in direct proportion for his Abba's, his Father's love for him. That is a lot of love. How on earth can we comprehend this? How on earth can we comprehend a love that matches the Father and the Son and then Jesus to his disciples? He goes on, he says this, verse nine, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is an incredible love, so then Jesus says this, now remain in my love. What Jesus says this, make your house, live in, move in this, un just, just incredible, I can't even find a word. This unrelenting, unflinching, incomparable, incredible love. Make your house there. How would it look in your life if you believed that Jesus actually loved you as you are in this moment? You probably wouldn't start to manage your spiritual growth and say, well, I got to go to church if Jesus is going to love me. Well, I got to quit cussing. I got to quit doing this. If you could really believe the furious love of God for you revealed in Jesus, how would it change you? What if you woke up in the morning and said, just as the Father loved Jesus, Jesus loves me. And you look in the mirror and you say, who am I? I am loved by Jesus. I am cared for so much by Jesus. I am beloved. I am loved. Make your home there. Make your dwelling there. There's an African proverb that I heard this week that says, truth is merely a rumor until it lives in your muscles. It's a way of saying it's just something that's a nice theory until it gets in your bones and you can actually live in that reality. And I'll tell you that I've been in ministry for over, uh, I mean, maybe six years, like full time. And I was doing a lot of working for Jesus and not working with Jesus. I was living in this kind of performance driven, I've got to make him happy kind of existence. And God 
who is so sick of me looking in the mirror and trying to see all the ways that I don't measure up broke through in a powerful way. And the word that I heard, and I don't want to mean that in some like super overly spiritual, like the clouds broke open and I heard a voice, but it's like something just lodged in my brain and in my heart. And it was this phrase, you are my beloved son with you. I'm well-pleased. And every time I sat down and got still and hushed my mouth. It was nagging on repeat. You are my beloved son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. And then I start to say, golly, okay, can we like move on? I need to like do stuff. I got to preach and I'm working with drug addicts. I need some like good stuff here, Jesus. You are my beloved son whom I love with you. I'm well pleased. And I begin to say, okay, well, maybe let's think about this. This is like after a month because I'm slow, right? This is a month, and I'm sitting there, and he says, you know what? I said this to my son, Jesus, whom I love, before he ever went and healed one person. He spent 30 years, presumably, in obscurity. And before he went and preached one sermon or welcomed one person or fed one person or clothed one person or taught one lick, I'm pleased with him. And then I began to really let that sink into my bones. And I thought, what would it look like? Could I not face every challenge that any person throws my way, church or otherwise? Could I not face that if I was, had it in my muscles that my identity is beloved, beloved? So the first way we need to realize we can love each other is to recognize the Jesus or the belovedness in others. And I'll just say it like this. Each of these six ways are going to be two words. In grace. Here's how we first love others in our church and in the broader church. In grace. And you realize that Jesus sat around the table with someone who hours later would betray him three times. Excuse me, deny him three times. Peter, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. Get away from me denied him three times. He sat at the table with Peter and gave his life for Peter. He washed the feet and gave a meal to the one who would turn him over to the authorities that would lead to his death, Judas. Jesus loved in grace, and he loved with a radical love because they were beloved, even if they didn't make their home in that love like Judas did. Are you with me? Did Jesus love Judas? Yes. And that's why next week when we talk about loving our enemies, we can look back at Jesus' example and see him loving and serving Judas. And then we can see him when people come to kill him rather than retaliate, he sacrifices himself at the hands of violent men. Jesus doesn't just give us this command to love one another as I loved you. He shows us how and he empowers us how because we can only love others the way Jesus loved by making our home in that love. I'm spending so much time on this very first point. Now y'all are going to think I'm going to preach for a million years. Because if we don't get this, we don't have anything else. We're incapable of loving sacrificially and valuing others if we don't know that Jesus values and loves us. And he loves others at the table just the same. So the first way we love is in grace. The second way we just read, now remain in my love, is we love others in Jesus. We love others in Jesus. We learned how to love, and we learned how to get that truth in our bones because we walk the way Jesus walked. How do we remain or make our home in Jesus' life, in love? 
Well, he says one way that is going to startle some of us, but he says this. Now remain in my love. Verse 10. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Now, wait a minute. I thought love was warm fuzzies. No. If you really value another, you're going to show it in your actions. Like I've said many times this summer, if I love my wife and I love my kids, I'm going to have some sense in which I don't just say it, I show it. And so if you love Jesus, if you're making your home in his love, you're going to naturally see union with him. Jesus wants nothing less than union. To be a disciple means to choose to do what Jesus would do if he's in your shoes. So if you love him and value him above all others, it's going to cost you your life, but you're going to find yourself in obedience to his life. Are you with me? So we remain in Jesus. That's how we love. It's obedience. And it's being still in prayer and recognizing that love. So it's obedience. It's prayer. And then the third piece as we move on here is community. Because Jesus doesn't, make, doesn't just make his home in you. He makes it in an us. The problem is when we gather around the table, like I said, it ain't just you and Jesus at coffee on Starbucks. It's you and Jesus and all the other stinky folks that wants to come and gather around him too. And why do we gather Saturdays, Wednesdays? Why do we live our lives with one another? Because there's no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. Because when we gather together around the table, we're gathering around Jesus, and there's transformation when we have others that we have to work out our love and service and submission and encouragement. There's growth when there's friction. There's growth when there's friction because love requires an other. So when we gather around the table with Jesus, we're gathering with all those others and we focus not on each other's faults, we focus on Jesus. When we gather around the table, we've got to focus on Jesus at the center, not each other's faults. That's how we love in the way that Jesus loved. So the third way, it's not just in grace for these others. It's not just in Jesus to give us the power that we remain in him. The third way is in community. Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus did that in community. We're called to do that in community. We can love the church because Jesus is within the church. It's his body. I know many of you have been burned by church because church folk are imperfect folk. And sometimes it ain't just the stuff you read on Facebook that hurts. It's the real, actual relationships of people who have said and done and harmed you deeply within the church. And I want to tell you, it grieves Jesus. It grieves Jesus, the violence emotionally and physically that's done in his name. But the thing about church is this. If you take Jesus, you take his bride, even if she's tough. And the hope is that we can love each other and you can gather around others who are committed to focusing on Jesus and trying to do this with grace, with Jesus, and with others in community. We can love the church because Jesus loves the church and remains within an us, not just a me. You with me? Now, why did Jesus say all this? We're really spending most of our time in the first chunk of this, and we're going to get all the way through 17 if you're still awake and with me. You good? Here's a really crucial part I want you to get. Why did Jesus say all this? I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy 
may be complete. Bud and I went to Delaware. Never thought I'd go to Delaware earlier this year. And it was a gathering of all different kinds of churches like ours. Nobody asked me how big our church was. We just were all on mission in different theologies, different states, different contexts, different colors and shapes and sizes. And we were all united together in this relational way of saying, we got to do this together to do it in community. So we went to Delaware to be with all these pastors. And the speaker said this one question that totally blew me away. And I was ashamed that I'd never thought of it. And he said this, what if we actually believed that God is the most joyful being in the universe. I grew up with a God that looked more like a far side cartoon with a long white beard who was out to get me with a lightning bolt. Not the most joyful being in the universe. Jesus said these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Is Jesus joyful? Yes. And he wants his joy to be your joy. Raman, my bratan Raman, was blessed to have a strange pen ink picture of Jesus. It's about yay big, and it's framed on his desk, and he got it when he was very, very young. And it is an ink-drawn picture of Jesus with about the happiest laugh-out-loud, belly-laugh expression you've ever seen. And Jesus, and that joyful Jesus picture, helped form and shape an image of God that is one who is joyful, not out to get him. Jesus' will is that you would be joyful in his presence, not fearful. Because we've talked about a few weeks ago, perfect love casts out fear. Don't fear God. See him as joyful. I'm grateful to see that with my own eyes in Russia. And I'm grateful that he came by that at a young age to see this Jesus who's told us to love one another so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. So he goes on to say, my command is this. Here's the thing that we've been hanging all this on. Love each other as I have loved you. And then that famous verse right there in 13, how he will love them. What does it say? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends or one's friends. The fourth way we love each other just as Jesus loves them is in sacrifice. Because in spite of their faults, in spite of their sins, for their faults and for their sins, Jesus goes to the cross to reconcile them to the Father. We love in sacrifice. So we know the greatest sacrifice is to lay our life down for our friends. But could we, if we're not asked to give our actual life, could we actually lay down perhaps or sacrifice our so-called right to be right. Maybe as we love each other as Jesus loves us, maybe we're called to sacrifice that fiery opinion that we know is going to bring this person down rather than bring them up. When Jesus died for us and sacrificed his life, it was not to bring us down, it was to bring us up. 
And no interaction we have with each other is neutral. We're either going to leave them a little bit more blessed and encouraged, or we're going to leave them a little more knocked down and discouraged. I really think that no interaction is neutral. And I think that when we talk about sacrifice, I think one of the ways that I need to sacrifice is sacrifice sometimes my right to be heard fully. One of the ways I need to sacrifice is my stuff, my money, my time. Because love is relating to another is valuable, even if it costs us. It may not cost us our life, but what might Jesus be calling you to sacrifice in your relationships with each other? How do we love each other as Jesus loved them? We see that he laid down, he will lay down his life for these people in just a day or two. So then as we round the end, in verse 14 he says this, he says, you are my friends. Jesus is laying down his life for his friends. If you do what I command. Remember to remain in this love, to love others, you got to live there, be obedient to him. And he says this in verse 15, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. Now, what's interesting is Jesus in the Gospels, is in, in John, is never quoted as calling them servants. But what he's trying to say is there's this new relationship that Jesus has with his disciples, and that's basically this. Everything that I heard, I've said to you. Basically, there are no secrets among friends. I've told you everything you need to carry on my mission. But you've got to love each other as I've loved you. That's how the world is going to know. He's leveraged it all on their love. So how do we love as Jesus's friends? The fifth way is in unity. In unity. To follow Jesus is to unite your life with his life. And by doing that, you unite it with all the lives of those disciples. You know, we're changing our name to the neighborhood church. The neighborhood church. Long story, if you don't know why, I'll tell you some other time, yes? The neighborhood church. One of the ways we've been kind of starting to lean into that existence, because a name is important, but a name also helps kind of create a culture. And one of the ways I've been thinking and leaning into this is this idea that we are following Jesus together for his kingdom in our neighborhoods. But we don't do it alone. Fishers of Men is not, you remember, some dude on a dock like we were earlier this week in Mineola, and I saw my wife catching a bunch of fish but it's not just a solitary experiment with one fishing pole. It's an us kind of net. It's the kind of net that's big and sprawling, and it takes all of us to throw out into the boat and bring people into this love within our neighborhoods. But we do that together. We follow Jesus together for his kingdom in our neighborhoods. The fifth way was we do this in unity as his friends. There's no secrets among friends. He's given us everything we need to go and live and love. So then finally we conclude with these last statements that he uh, draws back, this idea of fruit that he's talked about in this chapter, and we see this in verse 16. You did not choose me. None of these disciples ran their resumes up to Jesus and said, I want to follow you and be a fisher of men. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you so that you might what? Go and bear fruit. The more you remain in Jesus' love, 
the more the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control is evident in your life. And when you're in Jesus, you're making your home there, it's fruit that lasts and won't spoil. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus loves to say this staggering and impossibly sounding way of prayer. But he basically means this. You've been chosen to bear fruit and you've been chosen to be heard. My Abba who loves me and I've loved you just like he does is listening. He's joyful. He's inviting you to make your home in him and in love. And he's appointed these people to go bear fruit. So the last way, the sixth way, how do you love each other? As Jesus has loved each other, as Jesus has loved you, you do it on mission or in mission. You bear fruit. This love is not just to be hoarded for us. It is for our neighborhoods, the broken, the homeless that we see every week, several days a week. It's for the people that we work with who is in need of a real, genuine reaction that builds them up and not just down. It's for the family members who you just cannot be heard, the family members who you just cannot love because sometimes it's easier to love the stranger than the ones who are up close to you. So it is in our families, so it is in our church. So Jesus repeats, this is my command, love each other. We do it in grace, focusing on Jesus, not our faults. We do it in Jesus, remaining in his love. We do it in community. We do it in sacrifice. We do it in unity, and we do it in mission. This is my command, love each other, and may we be a church who loves each other like Jesus loves us so the world will know that we're actually his. That's the kind of church I want the neighborhood church to be known for. Not because we got people we love in Russia, not because we got people we love in the Middle East, not because we've got people that we love in El Paso and Juarez or here, there, or everywhere, downtown. I want to be known as the church who loves well, even at cost to ourselves. And by God's grace and remaining in Jesus' love, that's the way we can love. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you are love. It's not that love is God. It's that at the core of your being, you are love. You are love like an emerald is green. You are love So may we abide, remain, make our house in that love so much that it fills us, transforms us, and spills out of us into love for others, even when it's hard, even when it costs, because we want the world to know that we are your sons and daughters, that we are Jesus's. So Lord, help us love each other Help us live in that love and bless us as we respond to you. In the name of Jesus, our shepherd and king, amen. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. May the love of God be reflected in your hands. May the wisdom of God be reflected in your words and the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. Go in peace.